Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is for sales enablement leaders looking to elevate their function, expand their sphere of influence, and increase the span of control within their companies. Together, Brian and I have worked on over 100 different kinds of sales enablement initiatives, ranging from analysts, consultants, or even practitioners. We've learned the hard way what works, and most importantly, what doesn't. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the flavors of sales enablement, not how tasty they are, (laughs) Scott, but how they're organized and the scope of sales enablement as we're uh, out and about and talking to folks. So why don't you uh, frame this out for us? So normally we have a a, a framing story, but uh, basically over since October, uh, you and I have been talking to lots of sales enablement professionals and sales leaders, and we're developing a, 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 a kind of two things. One is sort of a clear pocket of where observation about where sales enablement is as a profession, and some of that is frankly very concerning to us. So what we'd like to do is share with you an li- uh, observation about sort of tensions and provide some texture about where the role is, and then get into the topic of flavors after that so that people have some context of why we're talking about that. So Brian, you've recently been, um, you're just coming back from a trip where you've visited a lot of uh, enablement professionals. Let's sort of do the composite of all the different interactions that we've had. Describe for us, what are the characteristics of a sales enablement leader today? Yeah, sure. And uh, like, like you said, let's look at, you know, the last three months. So, you know, the end of the year quarter here and then the beginning of a new year is really the, the timeline that we're looking at. And as you can imagine, Scott, you know, the end of year and start of a new year can be pretty busy for sales teams. And, and that's obviously reflecting in uh, the folks that I'm talking to in sales enablement. I don't know if that's uh, also what you're seeing, but everybody's busy. So we'll use the the phrase everybody's busy and there's there's really two types of busy that i'm seeing there's the busy with activity and then there's the busy being productive and that's that's what i want to talk to our listeners about those are two different things to me and uh, scott i'd love your your take on this but the idea of being you know actively busy is stuff like hey i'm on a plane i'm uh, responding to requests i'm running events People are walking by and I'm talking to them. Um, I've got a bunch of emails I need to respond to. You know, I'm, I'm moving, you know, from meeting to meeting to meeting. I'm attending those and I'm, I'm gathering inputs and I'm present at these, um, but I'm not necessarily running the meetings. And, you know, I'm thinking about uh, who I need to talk to next, uh, who's coming at me with a request. And it's, it's very busy in that uh, stance. And, Definitely, definitely seeing that on one, one continuum. On the other continuum, uh, had some conversations with folks who are also busy. Their calendars are pretty, pretty full. 
Um, but they're setting aside time to talk about, you know, here's what I'm seeing for the 2020 strategy. Here's the focus of the sales team as, as the sales leadership is meeting. This is what I'm, I'm uh, hearing in the meetings across the different sales segments that I support, the different sales channels. Um, and you know what? I'm, I'm obsessed about and I'm worried about the talk track of my function and how valuable uh, it is and, and what it's perceived like by these executives. And, you know, I'm not so much, you know, Brian, concerned about if I'm liked. I'm, I'm concerned about uh, am I considered valuable uh, to the go-to-market strategy? And I need more numbers. I need more analytics. I need to be able to tell this story better. And that's what's keeping me busy and finding the right talent um, is, is secondary, but it's more about, you know, quality of impact, not quantity. So those are the two continuums. Everybody's busy, but it's like two different types of busy. And I've had both of those conversations and they, they couldn't be any more different, to be honest with you. That's what I'm seeing. What about you? Yeah, so the way that I would characterize it is, is twofold. I think that there is, um, on the one hand, there's the, I have, I, I have gotten into the role of sales enablement as the head of broken things, right? I'm a powerful person. I have made my name of fixing broken things. The thing that I look for are things that are broken. I go to try to fix them. There's so many broken things. I have to go fix it. And uh, you sort of get in that mindset of, you know, my team really can't do it. No one else really can do it. I have to just do it. And um, there's just never enough cycles. There, there's never enough time in the day. And really, the, the way that I would characterize it is that's being busy because that's what you think your value proposition is, the head of broken things. Whereas the flip side is in a role like sales enablement, which is, you know, frankly, fuzzily defined. Um, in, in even well-chartered uh, uh, groups of which we see maybe t- less than 25%, uh, Brian and I would consider a well-chartered uh, uh, a function. Even those don't nearly have enough time to do all the internal selling required just because the amount of change that's happening in the selling environment and the multitude of different very strong perspectives about what's required to improve sales is, is overwhelming. So there's the other side of busy, which is how do we keep up uh, with all of the demand and all of the expectations? That's, that would be more how I, how I would characterize it, sort of the bucket number one, uh, I'm busy. Most of that's a self-fulfilling prophecy because I believe that my value is because I'm the head of, uh, I, I fix things. I need to be valued because that's why people value me. That's why we have this department. So you're always going to be busy (laughs) because that's what you're looking for. You're looking for symptoms to treat and put them out, put those fires out quickly. Whereas there's the other form of busy, which is maybe you've, um, maybe you've accomplished something like uh, um, really standardized on the CP, uh, the the price quote system, or maybe you've simplified uh, Salesforce or something like that. There's a lot of maintenance that goes with uh, fixing that, but then what do you do next? So yeah. I, that, that would be how, how I could characterize it. Does that map to what you're seeing? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, to to make this uh, you know tangible for folks, there's you know if in the busy of of attending the meetings versus the busy of uh, heading the meetings and calling the meetings and organizing the cross functional team to fix something. 
You know, I, I think that's a good litmus test on how many meetings are you really running? What are you really controlling? Uh, and, and that type of busy is completely different just to, to bring that home at a, at an individual level. And then Scott, you know, as we lead into our, our topic for today, you know, we, we've talked about this and we're seeing these, these patterns develop of where sales enablement teams and uh, are spending their time and what types of initiatives uh, they're running. For example, some might be focused on messaging or, or where I spend a lot of time on the, the people and uh, performance and training side of, of uh, sales enablement. And you've developed uh, over time uh, a lot of uh, understanding of this type of scope. And, you know, we've been talking about these uh, areas, which we were calling flavors of sales enablement. I think it'd be great to walk through that. Can you, can you share the framework? Sure. Uh, so what it is, it's, it's a observational framework uh, backed by a, a lot of practical, uh, practical experience. And, what it really comes down to is if, if you are, we delineated the two types, right? Type number one is, hey, I am valuable because I get stuff done. And that's the, that's the premise of my department. What I'm about to talk to you, you're probably going to reject everything. You're going to say, this sounds too theoretical. Um, what's my action? And, um, you know, frankly, what am I going to have to ask you to do is think about is it is fixing symptoms really valuable or is creating is elevating your, your function and create and actually proactively addressing the source of the symptoms is that's what's valuable. Yeah, that's really the second bucket. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I just want to quickly. That's a great point. There's there's what every how um, everybody shows up to you as a sales and element leader. Let's park that and what people are asking for and what they're bombarding you with and well, what all the inputs are. Let's just, let's just talk about you and your role and what is, what is your value? What do, you, what do you think you should be or what do you need to be uh, as a functional leader? And, you know, I like that dichotomy, Scott, of are you fixing the broken things or are you doing something different? And that's regardless of how people are showing up to you right now in this conversation. Yeah, and I think that the, the best way to, you know, park that, right, to, to create the space of it, I love this quote from Henry Ford. If I would ask customers what they want, they'd want a faster horse. If, yeah. if you have so much inbound demand about what you should be doing, if you just take that all on, you're just making faster horses instead yeah. of building cars, right? So let's, let's make that pivot and let's recognize that the full scope of all of the things that sales enablement could touch is so galactically huge. Uh, we, we could look at this and say, sales is about driving revenue or bookings and enablement is about doing anything to make that, uh, make that easier. So with that scope, with that huge gigantic scope, we're, we're, we're basically talking about a function that is the uh, connective tissue of all of the different silos inside the company. Obviously, that scope is too gigantic uh, for any one group to really tackle, but you have to be able to move outside of, hey, our sales kickoff stinks. We need to have somebody just have better sales kickoffs. Let's tap you on the shoulder to go fix it. So there's a balance between the two. So what we've identified is there's four big chunks that you can fix that really go around um, 
uh, fixing friction that exists among the sales organization and different functional groups. And that's really where a lot of these problems exist in the first place because customers don't really care about your organizational politics and you know who reports to who. They care about getting the answers. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna walk through these four, we're gonna do it one at a time. All right, does that make sense? Yeah, I like it. Okay, so the first function, the first chunk of that big giant area is the chunk around talent. Now talent you can look at in a lot of different ways, but let's just first talk about all of the different activities uh, or things that are involved in talent. Talent starts with hiring. So the whole process of figuring out what kind of sales rep do we need in the first place to how do we go and recruit them or pay for them, uh, all of that stuff, all the way through to evaluating and um, you know, uh, improving reps. There's a whole lot that goes into talent. And then when you think about all the stuff that goes into talent, let's talk about all the functions involved. Finance is involved because they have to improve, approve the headcount in the first place. Different groups within HR are involved from, uh, from the, geez, every HR group is organized differently, but you have some basic functions like leadership development. You're going to have sort of performance, uh, HR performance people. You're going to have recruiters and your L&D department might work in your, your, your human resources group. Each one of those departments may or may not interact with each other. Then when you go to the sales organization, who's the primary interface point? Who's the primary interface point from the on-taking? Uh, the, you know, how are we going to make requests of new hires? Uh, is that an individual sales manager? Does that get funneled through through sales operations? What role does sales enablement play in terms of, hey, we've got this amount of inbound. Can you have uh, foresight into onboarding? And when does onboarding begin and end? There's a whole slew of things under talent. So the way that we like to look at talent is it's the process of recruiting, retaining, and developing the right people. That's sort of the scope of it. There are many different departments involved. The benefit to salespeople are better and more skilled reps uh, and, and improvement. And we look at that as a business process uh, from hire to retire. So that's, that's really the first bucket. Yeah, I like that. And, uh, you know, you talked about functions and, and some of the, the titles that I've seen in there are indeed, you know, L&D. Um, I've seen sales enablement um, have that title of sales enablement, but the scope is around the talent piece. And in the talent piece, they're really focused on, for example, just the onboarding slice. And so there's an opportunity there to expand if you are in the talent piece um, or flavor uh, to think about you know, how do you branch into recruiting and, and then also the ongoing development uh, area to really improve the, the uh, and, you know, the rep experience from hire through retire. Yeah. So I think what we can do is we can zoom in and have a show on each one of the flavors to provide more context. Uh, but really what, what we want to highlight would be the scope of what you're looking for and who are the departments or the stakeholders whom you need to work with 
what is the business process that this, this would entail so that you can manufacture something and produce uh, sustainable results? And then what is the measurable impact on the sales organization? Great. Let's go to the next flavor. Okay. So the next flavor is really about the friction that exists between marketing and sales. And I personally do not like marketing and sales alignment. That sounds like we're going to get a bunch of guitars together, hold hands and sing Kumbaya. It is beyond uh, alignment. It must be integrated. And so what we're, what we're looking at is let, let's think about it this way. If we get our, our, our talent right, let's say that we develop the best course ever. We've got the most skilled reps in the entire industry. When they show up, they still have to talk about something, right? That message of what they talk about doesn't come from training. It comes from the synthesis of information from uh, individual product marketers, uh, you might have solution experts, you might have vertical overlays. Think about all of the people in different departments that have a variety of subject matter expertise and strong opinions about how to take your company's messaging and positioning and making it relevant to the individual human beings that salespeople engage with. So we call this bucket or flavor message. And in message, it's about translating all of the stuff about your company into conversational specific things. And the business process that we look at it is concept to contact. And what that means really is uh, when, you go, when we go and talk to a lot of customers, one of the things that are, are, are people like you, I really like to ask, so, uh, you know, what do we sell? Who do we sell to? And why do they buy? And to me, those are the elements. Everybody should know those answers, but very few companies can give me consistent answers. And where they stumble the most is the who. They give me personas, but personas aren't good enough. Uh, we need to, be, a salesperson must find somebody with um, uh, an altitude level and a leadership position to drive a new thing forward. They have to have the right access to budgets or be the, you know, the ability to assemble budgets. And they have to have the right um, you know, sort of confidence level to be able to do this because let's face it, we're introducing something new into these, in, into these clients and there's a big change management component that is risky to most, uh, to, to most people. So really what we're talking about here is how do you orchestrate all that messaging and move it away from being product focused and to be, make it more success or outcome focused. And that's yeah. a major, major transformation. Absolutely. And that you get, you know, when you do that, the fuel for customer conversations and, you know, there, there, there are multiple roles in, in the organization that benefit from that. Not, you know, there's sales and there's also customer service and solution architects, et cetera. So there's a lot of stakeholders involved in that. And, and if you, are in the talent space as a listener and you're like, well, you know, that's outside my scope. That's fine. Uh, the question I would also then ask or just think about is, are we still talking about sales enablement? And to Scott and I, absolutely. We're, this is our second flavor of four. All of these are sales enablement to us. And in the, um, if you're a part of the insider nation, we want you to think that way too. Um, you're going to be in one of these flavors 
and and uh, we'll talk about the impact of understanding these four here at the end. But this is still sales enablement to us. This message concept to contact piece. Yeah, that's true. And and I like where you're coming at it from because if you think about the different stakeholders, a sales enablement function can emerge and report really anywhere, right? So if we talk about the talent function, that probably it makes sense that that would rise out of the genesis of, you know, maybe an old sales training group, right? And just sort of expanding out from there and expanding the scope. On the message part, realistically, this could come out of product marketing, you know, and say, hey, look, we, we, need, to, we need to do some fundamental change of how we message and be a lot more customer oriented or customer centric. And when you start thinking about all these new roles that exist inside, uh, inside you know, marketing department, you've got account-based marketing, you've got customer experience uh, reps who are trying to, or uh, professionals who are trying to build buyer journey maps and all their things like that. You've got a whole slew of product marketers, you have solution marketers, you might have vertical marketers. Uh, demand generation and brand marketing might 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 involve there the number of people just in marketing alone that are all singing off of different hymn, hymn sheets is <laughs> is massive. Let alone, how do we identify the messaging that's required for each different uh, that's right sales channel? And that's definitely still sales enablement to us. Back to that point, and then also you know what Scott, we we have just killed I think two birds with one stone. We can now, I, I believe, where we're heading here, when people ask us where sales enablement should report, we're going to go tell them to listen to this episode. Yeah. <laughs> right. There, there we go. It's fantastic for killing two birds with one stone. Yeah, there we go. All right, let's go to the third bucket. Okay, so the third bucket is uh, a bucket that we like to call engagement. Now, I like one-word definitions of things, right? Um, but um, really what engagement is about is there's a increase incredible amount of pressure on sales leaders of uh, driving efficiencies in the pipeline. And today, the overwhelming majority of focus on that pipeline is either at the top of the funnel and a lot of friction and debate about, is it a marketing qualified lead? Is it a sales qualified lead? Is it a lead? Blah, 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 blah. A lot of back and forth there. And there's a lot of friction between demand generation groups uh, within marketing and, and, and the sales organization. Just tremendous amount of friction there. And then you get on the other end of the spectrum, which is the closing, right? The end of the sales cycle, which is, hey, you know, our reps aren't negotiating well enough. Um, you know, we, we got to do more negotiating training. Uh, we've got to, um, you know, uh, get managers more involved in sort of the approval process. Close, those are just two points deals. of it. There's a giant amount of space in the middle that is completely, completely overlooked that can drive a lot of performance. Things like, is there a, what inspection actually is done? So companies do invest in putting together a pitch deck, but we all know a pitch doesn't work in an executive level sale. It's a conversation. What inspection is being done on those, you know, first, uh, first meetings. Another problem that happens is how do you make sure that you have qualified both the right stakeholder and whether or not it's a real opportunity. And then a third major milestone is um, 
that that whole process of losing a no decision really what's what's happening is your deals are timing out because you're not equipping your internal sellers or your 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 champions to sell internally on your behalf so there are three gigantic gaping holes that provide a sieve to your <laughs> to your pipeline that you could develop very targeted integrated programs the challenge is there are so many cooks in the kitchen with regards to pipeline. You have sales operations people who are microscopically evaluating whether the forms are done, whether you're filling the CRM system out correctly or not. You have finance who's involved who wants to see um, higher forecasting accuracies because the forecasts uh, are, are terrible. You have sales management who's responding to this by doing you know, in some cases, we've seen weekly forecast reviews, weekly forecast reviews. That's insane. Uh, and uh, uh, it just a tremendous amount of focus on just forecast review, forecast review, forecast review. A lot of inspection. Yes, total inspection. Then you throw in the demand generation people in there who are obsessed with the top of the funnel and want to know how come the leads aren't getting followed up on. Whereas the salespeople complain that the leads aren't at the right altitude level in the first place, and nobody's having any conversations about the real problems. Yeah. And one. that is the state of affairs. You have finance involved, putting a lot of pressure on. You have sales managers adding to it. You have demand generation, and everybody's angry, and everybody's reacting. And is the, what, what is the result? More inspection of the reps, which yeah. you know, creates more friction in the pipeline process. Yep. And uh, this one of the four, uh, this one to me is uh, really a top priority um, because it is such a mess. Um, but I, when I talk to uh, sales enablement leaders, they don't want to touch this one with a 10-foot pole. No one wants to touch this. <laughs> Nobody wants to touch this one. And, uh, but when I talk to sales managers, because I spend a lot of time with sales managers, this is, this is the hidden frustration. This, is, this to me is why... Um, they only review things and just sign off on it and get it over with. Cause in the big scheme of things, this engagement bucket is their number one problem. Right. So when we look at it and I mentioned, we talk about this as a process, the way that we look at this as a process is the contact to contract process. So what are the steps that you go through from, you know, figuring out who we want to target to how do we get access to them to, um, how do we get them to agree to explore uh, an opportunity with us to how do we help them navigate internally to gain the internal buy-in? How do we help them produce a, you know, put together a business case and then, you know, sign up with us. That's the contact to contract process. Yeah. And for you uh, researchers at heart, uh, those that like to figure out and, and uh, you know, do the detective work. This is a great one to start because uh, when you start mapping out the steps in the business process of contact to contract, uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating and it's a jumbled mess. Yeah, and so, uh, so interestingly enough, so in terms of where sales and what reports to, if, if you report into a sales operations group, this is a great place to start. So, you know, the talent one is your genesis might be training and then you elevate into, into talent. Um, messaging, your, your genesis might be in product or solution marketing and you elevate into, uh, into the sales organization. Uh, the engagement one, you might focus on the, you, you might start out in sales operations and, you know, evolve there. 
Great. Let's go then to number four. So number four is um, astonishingly to me uh, personally is one of the simplest things to do. And the one that just for whatever reason just gets met with the, met with the most resistance. And I call it administration. And what this is about is, why, is, by the way, what's that? it might be why people don't like it, Scott, that administration word, you know, we're in sales, we're in sales enablement. I mean, I hear you. Perspective, uh, you might as well just say liver and onions. Well, liver and onions are, you know, are healthy for you too, right? Um, but uh, the, the, the point is, unfortunately or fortunately, there are things, there are rules that uh, we have to comply with. We have rules, uh, they're either regulations or rules set up by our, by our company that um, we have to comply with. And that compliance process, the, the whole design of what those policies are, are typically done um, in fiefdoms. So for example, the policies of um, you know, what counts as, um, or, you know, what, what counts as uh, accruable revenue or revenue that could be put in the comp plan or even the comp plan, that gets done by one group of people. The rules associated with revenue recognition get done by a different group of people. The uh, whole product uh, skew <laughs> debacle uh, that, that exists in most companies is done by another group of people. The pricing strategies and the rules associated with pricing and discounts are done by a different group of people. Unfortunately, salespeople have to put all that stuff together. And since none of these um, policies or administrative activities are mapped out and, and documented, really what we do is we set up a situation where everybody thinks that the salespeople are a bunch of imbeciles because they can't fill out the daggone forms correctly. But there are so... A deal desk to help them. <laughs> right. Well, the, so the deal desk only does one part of it, right? We're factoring in, look at all of the different variables that go into this. So then on top of that, you design systems and the people who create the requirements for the technology uh, are getting it from the explicit requirements coming from either compensation or whether it's the, um, you know, the, the SKUs or whether it's something else. And what's fascinating is you could actually simplify or take a lot of uh, burden away from sellers just by fixing one of these areas. Like, for example, the SKUs or the uh, you know, um, price to quote process. Right, it's easy, it's relatively easy to do. You don't really need to work with sales a lot. You just need to fix a lot of backend systems. But nobody wants to tackle it because they think it's too complicated. And that's the asinine thing because people don't wanna tackle it because it's too complicated. They push that complexity onto salespeople and right. complain about how salespeople don't have any time. And uh, be like, okay, well, you know, they didn't, they didn't do it, but now you're messing with the livelihood of salespeople and uh, slowing down the sales process and aggravating customers because we didn't want to tackle it internally. Exactly. And the, the it's, case it's with all death by, by a thousand paper cuts. So in some cases, so uh, Brian, I did, did some analysis and one company that's, you know, the bigger the company you've got, the bigger the administrator burden you're putting on your reps. And one, one company, uh, we analyzed their key accounts and the key account group was so burdened by so many different administrative functions that 
50% of their time was spent with administrative burden. And when we did a simple analysis of what could be consolidated just by tackling it, three quarters of that time could be collapsed. Think mm -hmm. about that. It, so think about giving your reps back 50, well, not 50%, but let's say 40% of their day. How much more productive could they be? And that is uh, what you can do by tackling, uh, by tackling the administrative problems and simplification strategies. So we call this process contract to revenue. There's all these uh, different rules and things like that. Uh, really, it's, uh, it, it's around the simplification process and unfortunately involves a lot of groups. It, 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 it will involve different groups within your finance department. It will, it will include different functions within sales operations. It will, uh, it will include maybe uh, different folks in terms of human resources, in terms of policies that, uh, uh, that, that get developed. It may include your legal team. Uh, it will definitely include your IT department and, and, and folks in terms of technology. And nobody wants to address any of these issues. And frankly, there's some very simple, simple, simple things uh, to eliminate a lot of this burden just by having a different approach. But nobody is responsible for this. Yep. And, <laughs> you know, it's popping into my head. I don't know where I get this stuff from. You know, those, uh, those awards that often come out for sales, sales training, you know, the annual. There's a lot of people posting right now about the awards they're receiving. Somebody needs to create the, uh, the administrative burden award the, the best program to to uh to lower the administrative burden on reps goes to we got to make that we got to make that uh, more appealing to people yeah the simplifier the simplifier the simplifier award goes to everybody's gonna be like what the hell is that <laughs> so there's there's four folks we got talent with hire to retire messaging flavor concept to contact the engagement flavor, which is contact to contract, and the administration flavor, contract to revenue. And, you know, when I look at it, I say it kind of tongue-in-cheek. These, these domains are, one, they're all part of sales enablement to Scott and I. Two, um, you know, some of these are more appealing than others. But when you put it in the context of what reps need to be successful today, Boy, are these important. And then, you know, Scott, I'll toss this over to you. You know, what's the, what's the impact of, of these to leading in the role? Because to me, it's a leadership challenge that people have, not a org chart functional challenge. How do you lead in these domains? And then how would you take on other domains? Yeah, so I, I think there's, there's two buckets, right? So let's say I'm in the, I am... Let's say my current remit for sales enablement is I own the sales training, you know, I own the sales kickoff, uh, and um, um, I'm responsible for, um, you know, building playbooks or, or job aids, right? Let's say that that's my current remit. So the first thing is, okay, will any of these things help me do my job better? And the answer is yes. So for example, let's take all of the administrative burden and if that gets simplified, that creates way more space inside, inside reps 
so that they can adopt the things that you're doing. When people are spending so much time, 50% of their time, dealing with, I don't know what question to ask or what field to form out, uh, we're turning salespeople into uh, accountants <laughs> and data entry specialists. That, that creates no space for them to learn the techniques that, 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 you're, that you're providing. So your success is directly related to, you know, fixing, say, some of the uh, administrative problems. Your success is related to, you know, targeting on, on the engagement. If you can be really honed in and say, these skills will help you um, get more qualified opportunities, that helps you be, for two reasons. One is you can be more concrete to reps, but also more importantly, you can measure results way easier because it's so much easier to measure the contribution of um, qualified opportunities uh, and project that into, into closes rather than just how skilled people are. And the same thing with messaging. You and I all know that every training program that we put together, we get super frustrated with the messaging uh, that goes into it. And why can't marketing just give us X, Y, and Z? Well, if that were fixed, that would make your job easier too. So I think I want to address it first is the reason that you should care about the whole breadth of these things, because even if you want to stay isolated and say, I don't want to tackle these other things, they all contribute to your success. That's point one. Does that make sense? Because I want to you know, break that up before I go into point two. Yeah, totally makes sense. Okay. Now, point number two is in terms of leadership, part of what you have to learn to do is to elevate the message of simplification. Your sales leaders and your CEOs are so reactionary uh, with regards to the pipeline because there isn't any real planning. And I, I don't mean that in the sense of um, there isn't planning in terms of the you know, design of the sales force or whatnot. I'm talking about in terms of the execution. It's constant reactive mode. So the only way out of this is somebody has to take that first step forward. So let's stay on talent, for example. One way to elevate that would be to quantify what is the impact of turnover. Every, even if you have 25% turnover, you could, you, you could argue that that's, that that's healthy or not healthy. But if you actually do a analysis, you're going to realize that if you have 25% turnover, the bulk of where your turnover is happening isn't the reps who aren't cutting it. The bulk of the turnover is you're probably losing your A and B reps. And when you look at the productivity that's walking out the door, it's going to take you three or four new hires to replace that same degree of performance. And you don't know that. So there are massive costs to turnover and getting that right is important. Another thing too is, um, Let's talk about onboarding and making sure you're clear about what is the handoff between uh, your onboarding program and what is the role of, of frontline sales management. I think everybody knows that um, there's a lot of challenges with frontline sales management, but it's just not something that's tackled. And not holding uh, different people accountable for their different functions makes it really difficult to isolate problems moving forward. So therefore, you can't really pinpoint, hey, we did this, uh, we did, we had these new hires and that batch, that uh, group became more productive 50% quicker because we got these efficiencies down. 
So the, 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 what happens is if, if you get more focused on these things, you're able to provide simpler and more measurable um, ways to be evaluated, which of course give you more scope, span of control, authority, budget, but also it makes the, the doing your job way more, a lot easier because you can stay focused on a few of those metrics. So there's two points of this. One is the ability for you to perform your job improves exponentially when these other flavors are fixed. Number two is by focusing on any of these areas, you can put together more measurable results and uh, be more of a strategic partner to help drive, uh, drive results moving forward. Love it. All right, so uh, this has been a, a uh, you know, lengthy topic, but really meaty. And um, when you look at these areas, very critical, I believe, for our listeners. And uh, I like your comment earlier about perhaps we take each one of these and dive into them you know, specifically in future episodes. And I like your tips at the end around making sure we think about this holistically and also prioritize is what I'm getting. Um, and, and if you do the work and you think it through, you actually can develop a roadmap here, no matter where you report into a lot of impact. And, you know, one of the key items that, that I'd love our listeners to take away is if you don't tackle some of these flavors or domains, um, you know, nobody else will, one and two, uh, this complexity will be pushed onto your reps. So uh, that's, that's my takeaway. Scott, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we let our listeners go? I do. To summarize this, uh, I would really highlight the 80-20 rule. And I think this is a, a concept that is not discussed among the sales enablement community. Um, not, not nearly enough. And the 80-20 rule is so powerful and so real uh, when you apply it to sales. It's, it's mind-boggling that we're, we're not talking about it more. And really what, what, this, um, what these flavors do is give you a way to first, you know, chunk out the, our low-hanging fruit is what? Is it a talent issue? Is it a message issue? Is it an engagement issue? Is it an administration issue? And go after the low-hanging fruit. And then the other thing, too, is by having a process lens to it, what it does is it allows you to isolate even more specifically one thing. So let's talk about the uh, engagement process. Uh, for example, we've seen companies who say, you know, hey, you know, we're, we're just not executing on our strategy. Like, okay, well, are you talking to the right people? How many meetings did you have at, say, the CIO level? Oh, we had zero. Well, there's your problem right there. Let's do a program only focused on getting more meetings with CIOs. And then it becomes very manageable measurable, focused, and, and you get the momentum and you get everybody rowing in the right direction, which is a critical success factor for any sales enablement leader. Great. And folks that are listening and, and, and you know, members of the Insider Nation, <laughs> give us a call or drop us a line on this. We'd love to see what you're seeing, hear about what you're wrestling with, and also, you know, any successes you've had uh, on this. I think 
part of the the reason why we want to do this show is to not only highlight some of the the uh, challenges that folks might be running into and, and ways to think about overcoming those but also we'd love to hear about the wins that you've had and what's working and uh try putting this into practice this thinking and see how it works in your organization and let us know and uh as always scott and i appreciate your 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 constant uh, feedback and overall approach to sales enablement as part of the nation because it's very collaborative and and we like that so we'll see you uh, at linkedin we'll see you at some of these events that are coming up and uh, on behalf of scott take care and we'll talk to you later thanks for joining us to become an insider and amplify your journey make sure you've subscribed to our show if you have an idea for what scott and brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.